The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and welcome. That's right, I said it four times for a very good reason. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are absolutely in the right place. Exciting topic today, so stick around. The buzz today, score. What does she mean by that? We're talking about sports. The world of sports and entertainment is getting smarter by way of technology. That's right. You're listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers. We're talking tech today. So how is this all happening? Well, let me give you a couple examples. Baseball, smart batting cages are tracking every phase of a player's performance. That's exciting. That's a lot of data. How about smart Wi-Fi networks that are bringing fans deeper into the action on their smartphones? We've got them anyway. We may as well do something with them, right? And how about smart predictive analytics and the Internet of Things, as I mentioned, and in-memory computing? They're all helping athletes and teams improve performance. That's what we want. That's what we buy tickets for and watch on TV and the big screen for. They're helping fans more actively participate. That's right. We want to be more engaged, more involved. We want a better experience. And maybe most important of all, they're helping sports business organizations, the ones that put it all together, run like never before. And you know what I'm talking about. We have a panel of four very interesting experts all over the map here, literally all over the world, calling in today to help us figure this all out. So let me start by introducing our first guest. She is Corrine. Vitola. Let me spell her name in case you want to look her up. And you can look up her company because she's the founder and CEO of Smart Sports. That's one word. But it's C-O-R-R-I-N-E, Corrine Vitolo, V-I-T-O-L-O. Corrine sent me a very interesting opening quote from somebody named Frank, middle initial L, Gaines, G-A-I-N-E-S. I challenge anybody in the listening audience to figure out who he is because we have certainly tried. But his quote is great. Here's the quote. Only he who can see the invisible can do the impossible. And that's because Frank L. Gaines is invisible. Corrine Vitolo, great quote. By the way, somebody has actually attributed that to Albert Einstein, who is certainly not invisible. How are you, Corrine? I'm very well, Bonnie. Thank you for having me, and good morning to you and my colleagues. We are delighted. So talk to me. You picked this quote, even though we have no clue who Frank Gaines is. You picked the quote uh, relating to our topic, and sports is your world. That's your wheelhouse. So how does this relate to our topic of, and by the way, I will introduce formally, the topic is play hard, play smart, sports and the Internet of Things. So go ahead, Corrine. Well, Bonnie, I uh, agreed I could not find any background on who it is attributed to, but I thought the, the quote itself was perfectly aligned with the topic. Uh, you know, w- I'm finding that invisibility and, and competitive advantage usually comes from things that are not obvious. 
and it, and I thought it applied to the the entire continuum of the topic today, uh, from everything from elite athletes. I mean, their innate skills and the ones that are extremely successful, the ones that are are just head and shoulders above everybody else, always have some sort of innate invisible skill. Uh, you know, a, a secondary quote comes to mind uh, from Wayne Gretzky: "You don't skate where the puck is; you skate where the puck is going to be." So that that piece of invisibility that that you know you can attribute to elite athletes, and it applies to everybody across the continuum that's involved in sports and technologies, from athletes to coaches to teams to leagues to fans. Uh, you know, certainly from from the team standpoint, from the business standpoint, the piece of invisibility now that is is lending and creating competitive advantage and innovation and evolution in these sorts of things are the data and the analytics. So that that given, I thought that was absolutely the perfect quote for the topic of the show. It is wonderful, and thanks for that, uh, alluding also to Wayne Gretzky, another great quote. Kareen, quick question. You're in the sports business. How many women are playing baseball today who would be in that elite level, that elite echelon of sports, particularly in baseball? Are we seeing an influx of very talented women at bat? Well, I think what we're seeing, uh, you know, I, certainly Title IX has had a great impact across the board, and, and certainly we're seeing a lot of it with the resurgence of American softball. Uh, we're seeing a lot of girls come back, and, and the participation rates across the country are increasing, which, we're, you know, as a company, we're delighted to see. Uh, as a nation and a society, we're even happier to see, right? Uh, certainly you're starting to see a few trickle upwards. Uh, into very interesting positions, whether they're athletes or in, in sports management and in, in the industry across the board. So, yes, I think we are. Thank you. That is exciting in itself. Thank you, Karina. Welcome again. And let me introduce our second panelist. He is Dr. Kim B. Blair, B-L-A-I-R, if you want to look him up. He's a NASA-trained engineer. He's also an Ironman triathlete. Wow. There's, there's a sports link. And he's vice president of Cooper Perkins, Inc. And Kim has sent me a quote. Well, it's commonly attributed or frequently to Benjamin Franklin, but he did a little more digging and found out that it's likely derived from the works of a Chinese Confucian philosopher who lived from 312 to 230 B.C. And the philosopher's name, I'm doing my best here, is Shun, X-U-N, Quang, K-U-A-N-G, who was known as Master Shun. He was a Chinese realistic realist Confucian philosopher who lived during the Warring States period and contributed to one of the 100, 100 schools of thought. All mystery to me, but he sounds fascinating. Here's the quote. Tell me and I forget. Teach me and I remember. Involve me and I learned. Beautiful quote. Kim Blair, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me on your show. Well, thank you. I'm fascinated with the fact that you're an Ironman triathlete, and I hope you'll bring in some of your experiences into the show since we're talking about play smart, play hard, and all that good stuff. But tell me, how did you come to find this quote for our topic today, Kim? Well, I was looking around for something that really uh, illustrated what the uh, what the ideal connection should be for the Internet of Things, and that, that really is teaching people about their environment uh, and allowing them to react to it and adapt to it. So <clears throat> right now, in, in a lot of cases, uh, we're seeing the, the data that's coming from the Internet of Things. You know, it's, it's at this point, it's, it's just data, right? And mm-hmm. data becomes information when it becomes interpreted and, and useful to the person that's using it. And certainly in the world of sport, um, when people are trying to perform and, uh, at their best or learn something about how they perform, 
that interconnect between being able to collect the new data and uh, being able to interact with it, or in other words, be involved with that data in some way and see how it adapts to them, really allow people to learn a lot about themselves. Do you think this is what's bringing the fans in that they, I mentioned in my opening, Kim, uh, they're more involved through their smartphones and Wi-Fi networks at the stadiums, at the fields, wherever they are. Uh, do you think this is drawing more than just a younger crowd? And I'm going to use that dreaded M word, millennials. Is this working for other generations as well, Kim? You know, I, think, I, I don't certainly have the statistics to back it up, but I certainly think mm-hmm. it is going to reach out to more and more people. I, you know, and it, and it really is about uh, giving people the, the, a little bit more insight and being able to connect uh, with, with the audience uh, that they're out there, both on the sports side uh, and the fans. Uh, it's interesting. I was speaking to one of the, uh, one of the people with one of the uh, NBA teams a, a couple months ago, and they were saying, it, you know, at any one time they only know twenty uh, percent of the people in their stands are right because it's ticket resales and things. And I thought that was a really fascinating statistic. And so, you know, they're really looking uh, not only in sharing the, the performance of the sport on the field, but really looking for ways to use the internet to engage that fan base and, and engage the people that are actually in the stand, not just uh, who actually happen to hold the the, the uh, tickets. Very interesting. And holding the tickets, I'm thinking of if a, a family, several generations of a family go to a game and they've got one or two people who have a smartphone and are very engaged during the show. I bet that's going to be a contagious excitement where they're passing the phone. Did you know that Bob, their number 42, did this and that? And did you know that Kim Blair is an Ironman triathlete? I can see that information almost going viral in a very small way within that family or that group of friends, some of whom will not have their own smartphones. Any thoughts? on that, Kim? Well, I think it's really about understanding who, who that information is going to and how to, how to, how to select mm-hmm. information that is uh, of interest in and um, is going to be targeted toward that particular audience. Um, and, you know, it, it's got to be more, I think, than just basic stats. It's, there's, mm-hmm. there's another layer there in, in um, you know, being able to figure out what people are interested in by, by other actions. And certainly, you know, we're seeing today that smartphones are recording everything we practically do and everywhere we go. And, and yep. from that, of course, um, you know, the, the, the back offices are, are out there trying to uh, sift through that data and, and uh, learn more about each of us uh, in order to deliver content that's more appropriate. There you go. They want to know who we are, so we know more about the right ways about who they are. Thank you so much, Kim Blair, and welcome. And please tell us a little more later on in the show about your background as a NASA-trained engineer. Very intriguing, as well as what it's like to be an Ironman triathlete. That just sounds so exciting to me. Thank you again, and let's bring on our third panelist. She is Amy Lai, L-A-I. She's the founder and CEO of a young London-based company called Wittos, W-I-T-T-O-S, and Amy will tell us a little more about her company later. And she said, me a quote from Dr. Shuhei Toyoda, T-O-Y-O-D-A, and she told me I can call him Toyota-san. He's the, he gave this in a promotional speech at Toyota Motor Europe in 2013, and just some background, Dr. Toyota became president of Toyota Boshuku Corporation after his post at Toyota Motor Corporation's European Regional Headquarters, and interestingly enough, in, uh, in the a couple of years ago, he purchased a plant from a seat manufacturer in the province of Norpas de Calais in France and rehired all of the employees. And he got such accolades from the French government that they awarded him the Légion d'Honneur Medal of Honor in 2013. So that's quite something interesting. Now, here's the quote. Practice Genchi Genbutso, I'll spell that in a minute, and the five whys in order to grasp the facts, 
persevere, and never give up until you have succeeded. Let me stop there. Amy Lai, welcome to the show. How are you, Amy? Very good. Very good. Thank you very much for having me. Well, we're delighted to have you. Why don't you uh, you explain what the meaning of Genchi Jinbutso, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. It's a daily operating principle at Toyota. What does it mean? Absolutely. Uh, so uh, actually, 2013 was the year I joined Toyota in Europe, and I was very fortunate enough to be a, given the handbook as uh, Toyota Sun was uh, um, uh, having his farewell and promotion speech of, of the ha- handover of of um, his position over to a, a local um, uh, member in in uh, in, in the region, um, and uh, it, it was quite inspiring because he had a reputation in the in the time that he was uh, uh, positioned in Europe to be able to be very hands-on, uh, very on, much uh, on the pulse of what's actually happening in the organization. And uh, it, it, was, it was striking because as a leader in an organization, to be connected at such a, a, a grounding level, uh, it was inspiring to, to see and, and operate in the practices. Genji Genbitsu actually means uh, to, to connect with what's actually happening on the ground floor. And today we have a lot of uh, data that is around that uh, gets summarized and aggregated into uh, reports and insights. But uh, sometimes we need to go a little deeper and, and figure out uh, with five whys uh, to understand um, from a factual basis uh, what's more important from the data that we're, we're analyzing. Uh, and so that's one of the, the great things uh, that I took away from, from working there. So when I started my my startup company um, uh, two and a half years ago now. Uh, it's one of the principles and, and one of the directions that we've taken uh, to develop a, a, a real-time analytics solution. On Thank you, Amy. We are- Interesting. I, I want to spell Genchi Genbutso so our mm-hmm. listeners, uh, if they're interested, can look it up. It's G-E-N-C-H-I dash G-E-N-B-U-T-S-U, Genchi Benjutu. Uh, all right, I'm tongue-tied now. Let me ask you a quick question. Oh, you say in your notes to me that this is one of the inspirations for your starting Witos, your company, and the, it means to have seen, hence to have known. Is this the meaning of, of Widows, or how did you get the name for your company? Yeah, that's right. So we were looking for some meaning. We wanted to do um, some analytics in real time on the wireless networks and figure out what is of value. So I think um, you, you rightly uh, pointed out that many of us are sitting in stands in stadiums and at sporting venues today, um, connecting and understanding you know, what, what it means for us on a personal level. But if we can understand that in a bigger picture, then uh, the venue owner itself uh, the uh, concessions that are there, the sponsors can understand how to better serve uh, those individuals and, and make that experience much more memorable. Thank you very much, Amy Lai. Pleasure to have you on board and welcome again. And let's turn to our fourth panelist. Yes, we have four today. I said welcome, 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 welcome. And I'm ready for the fourth welcome. He is Milan Cherny. C-E-R-N-Y. He's a business intelligence consultant and part of the EMEA BI and Big Data Services Center of Excellence at SAP. And he has sent me a quote from Michael Jordan. Anybody interested in a little Michael Jordan background? His middle name is Jeffrey. His initials, he goes by MJ. And of course, he's an American former professional basketball player, also a businessman and the principal owner and chairman of the Charlotte Hornets. So he goes not only under the under our opening about players, but also the sports business organizations that are trying to run like never before. And here is the quote. 
Talent wins games, but teamwork and intelligence wins championships. And he certainly knows. Milan Cherney, welcome. How are you today? I'm very well. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on the show. We're delighted to have you as well. So talk to me about what this quote means to you and how it relates to our topic. Yeah, I mean, I was looking for a, for a quote you can apply to the topic well, and um, I'm pretty sure Michael Jordan back in the days didn't didn't exactly have this topic on his mind when he when he did that <laughs> quote, but um, I think it can be applied really, really well. Um, obviously, in sports, um, it's about the athlete um, in the first place, so the talent on the court, on the pitch. However, um, I think nowadays it's become more important than ever to have you know, a uh, functioning team behind the athlete and then also intelligence in, in a way that you consume information about your opponent, about yourself, your own performance, learn from your own mistakes, um, improve your performance based on these analytics. And I think um, it's a challenge for technology, um, but it's also um, a great opportunity to innovate. And it's a great opportunity to, for sports to grow um, and to become, you know, accessible to a broader audience. Um, more understandable um, and generally improve improve the overall experience because after all we're we're talking about entertainment here, right? So sports mm-hmm. has always been there for um, entertaining fans. Very good points. I have a question for you, and then I'll run it by the whole panel before we start our "What's in Your Cup" coffee break segment right here in a minute, uh, Milan. Is this exciting for the players, too? Uh, and, and I'll ask this question to Karina just a second in terms of her smart cage a- a- application. When a player knows that every time they pick up that bat or they touch that ball or they put on their shoulder pads or they don their helmet, that they're, the Internet of Things, the sensors are recording and reporting every single move, good, bad, or ugly, that they make, and somebody is going to see that data. Is that frightening? Do you think that will excite the players, or is it making them a little leery of going out and not having a really good day because <clears throat> every day counts? Now, what do you see, Milan? <laughs> well, I think um, from my experience, and I'm, I'm fortunate enough to work with a lot of athletes in many sports, um, most of them are pretty excited and they love um, learning more about themselves and the performances. However, it's, um, it's always a question to their personality. So um, there's always going to be athletes who are, let's say, who have more of a traditional approach, um, don't want don't to work with technology too much. But like I said, the majority are really excited about today's possibilities. And um, if I can speak for myself in the past, I, I used to play, mm-hmm. I used to do a sport as well. And if I had the opportunities from today, I would be, I would be delighted. It would be amazing. <laughs> um, ah, so I think, um, okay. yeah, it's, uh, it's a very interesting, very interesting area to work on. Certainly is. Thank you for that first-hand experience, Corinne. Let's circle us back to you. What do you see? Are the players as excited as the fans are, as the organizations are, or some of them saying, "Oh, <laughs> take those sensors off. I didn't get a good night's sleep," or something else, <laughs> Corinne? <laughs> well, I, I, I would I would echo Milan's sentiment in that our experience we've found that the athletes are delighted and uh, are very excited and welcoming. Um, you know, we found that. The ubiquitous question across the across the continuum of sports, Bonnie, is always whether they're a little league player or a major league player. Is how did I do, right? And little mm-hmm. league player is going to run to his coach or his parent or teammate. How did I do? Uh, you know, the 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 elite athletes on the other end of the spectrum. You know, it's it's much more. 
incremental. But this is, this is really a very exciting time for athletes and player development and such to be able to have this sort of data and this sort of information. Uh, it, it enables them to, to train more efficiently, to understand their strengths, their weaknesses. And I think it really streamlines the, the development. Uh, you know, I would, I would point to my, my, my wonderful colleague here, Kim Blair, uh, as a triathlete, Kim, right? I mean, you've been, you've, you've been outfitted with, uh, you know, timing and scoring mechanisms for, for years. So, uh, Kim might have some, some much more salient instincts on that, but, uh, certainly I think it's a, I think the athletes across the board, Bonnie, are very excited. Thank you, Kim. You've been summoned, and I was just going to ask you next. What do you What do you experience? Did you Were you wired for sound literally as an Iron Man? Talk to me. Yeah, certainly over the years. I mean, I've seen the technology come into the sport, and and uh, I've, I've been in the sport for for a number of years. And uh, you know, first off, it was you know primarily stopwatches, and then um, when I got into the sport, heart rate monitor training or based all your training based off of heart rate was very popular, and then. Uh, in the mm-hmm. 1990s, uh, the late 90s, early 2000s, power measurement, particularly in cycling, because it's easy to measure, easier to measure there, uh, came came mainstream with uh, with with a product first called PowerTap uh, that actually my consulting company Cooper Perkins had worked with, um, and that allowed riders to measure their power output on the bike. And, and the interesting thing about comparing power output to heart rate is, you know, as as my colleagues have mentioned, you know, depending on how you feel that day or how many cups of coffee you had or how well you slept or what you ate, your heart rate can really vary a lot from day to day. But um, for a given course or for a given set of situations, the power output required to uh, make that performance level doesn't change. Uh, and so it becomes a little bit more of a concrete number from day to day. Uh, and... Um, so, so it's another piece of information people can use. And today we're seeing more and more pieces, you know, for endurance athletes in particular, around measuring uh, sleep quality, measuring recovery ability, uh, and, and a lot of things, and just providing more information all the time to individual athletes or, or uh, uh, their coaches in, uh, in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, many, many top-level athletes in, in uh, endurance sports have coaches, and a lot of times those coaches are remotely located. Uh, and so, you know, the Internet of Things concepts and cloud computing and data sharing and all that allows these coaches to be far, far away from where their athletes are and yet still have a pretty good, uh, pardon the pun, pulse on what they're doing. <laughs> Literally and figuratively. <laughs> Kim, that's interesting. And I'm, I'm looking back at your quote from Master Jean, if I can call him that familiarly. And the quote was, tell me and I forget, teach me and I remember, involve me and I learn. And therefore, it sounds like we are involving through the IoT and the sensors, we are involving the athletes in their own coaching, their own training, their own what is my body doing, what are my skill sets, what do I need to improve, the numbers don't lie. There you go. So I thank you very much for that and for your enthusiasm. Amy Lai, love to get your take on this what do you think are the players as excited as everybody else oh certainly i think so i mean i think as individuals we all um play a little sports ourselves and and players are no different they're humans as well right so um this whole uh, fascination about trying to understand how you perform and how you are um are, uh, you know, benchmark against your previous week or even maybe a community is, is kind of a stimulation to, to get you motivated to continue and, and, and become more engaged and more um, successful. 
Thank you. And to get that better night's sleep and drink a little less of something you weren't supposed to have the night before. Oh, my goodness. Now they know where we've been. Thank you all. And I'm going to circle it back to Corrine Vitolo at Smart Sports. Corrine, this is the part of the show where I ask to get to know a little bit about each of our panelists. It's called What's in Your Cup Today? What are you drinking? Or what are you thinking about drinking and planning for after the show? So, Corrine, tell me where you're calling from, time of day, and what's your favorite drink? I am actually calling from the seacoast of New England, uh, up near Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And uh, it, I am on Eastern Time, so it's about 10.25 on Thursday morning. And uh, actually, Bonnie, I am, I am uh, well into my first bottle of smart water of the day. Uh, I, I tend to have several of those throughout. Uh, hopefully it makes me smarter. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and tell me, is there, are there any, uh, what are they, what's in electrolytes? What is in smart water? Yeah, it's, Just it's, it's, it's simple electrolytes. Uh, it seems to be the bonus that there's something actually good. I just actually prefer the taste of the water. So uh, that's, <laughs> that's kind of my, that's my go-to during the day. So Kareen Vitolo, smart sports, smart cage, smart water. smart water. I like that. Are we you are a here? Yes. Consistency. <laughs> Boy, you got your logo set up for you here. Kim Blair, where are you calling from? <laughs> Time of day. And wh- what are you drinking, Kim? Yes, I'm also on the East Coast. I'm actually uh, sitting in the lab at uh, MIT today uh, outside the wind tunnel here where we've done a lot of work with uh, aerodynamics and cycling over the years. Uh, and uh, my favorite drink, and, and which is not with me today, but uh, certainly we uh, use this a lot at Cooper Perkins, is, a, uh, is a, uh, a dry cappuccino, and it's made with a manual espresso maker. So you actually pump the espresso yourself or the water through the espresso yourself. Uh, and there's something very, very satisfying about still doing something all on your own uh, and, you know, what the data's not sent to the cloud. And it, uh, <laughs> however, there is a lot of conversation around the, around the coffee bar at our office about the best way to do this. So uh, there's still a lot of sharing. It's just uh, hyper-local, we'll call it that. I like that, but you have to tell me. I've just looked up dry cappuccino, and apparently there's a wet cappuccino versus a dry. There's a forum on this, and people are asking, are any of you fans of dry cappuccinos? So tell me, what is a dry cappuccino, Kim? Uh, the difference between dry and wet is, is uh, the uh, dry cappuccino has foam milk, and the, uh, the wet cappuccino has steamed milk. Um, and quite frankly, the foam milk is easier to make because you just use a little uh, whipping device for, uh, for making the milk into foam. You don't need a steam system. And I find it makes it a little richer. Good to know. There you go. Thank you. That's one we haven't heard in about 500 shows. That's the first time anybody said dry (laughs) cappuccino. I learn. I learn every day. Amy Lai, where are you calling from? I know you're in the U.K. somewhere. What time of day or night, and what are you drinking? Well, we're in uh, uh, mostly cloudy London, although there's some spots of blue sky. Um, I am calling at uh, 3.30, so it's past my caffeine uh, consumption hour. So I'm <laughs> drinking the Red Bush tea. It's Robos, which is a lovely uh, calming tea for this time of day for me. And uh, it's, um, it's something that's caffeine-free and keeps me going through the rest of the afternoon. Very nice. We've had a couple of panelists recently talk about rooibos tea, so it looks like it's really catching on in popularity. Thank you, Amy. And let's talk to Milan Czerny. Milan, somewhere in Germany, tell us where and what are you drinking? Yeah, I'm sitting here actually um, in the headquarters of SAP in Waldorf, which is a place uh, pretty close to Frankfurt. Um, It's around 4.30 now, and I'm drinking a really boring coffee with milk. Well, there's nothing boring about that if it's good coffee. So what kind of coffee is it that you put milk? Come on, you know I'm going to drag it out of you. Tell me a little more. 
<laughs> well, it's uh, it's it's a coffee from a regular coffee machine, as we as we have them everywhere at SAP. You're going to know them. So um, yeah, nothing special there. Maybe um, another thing. I'm having a glass of water with it. <laughs> Okay, water chaser. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you very much. What? What? Since I've recently just met the four of you, you don't know that they don't allow me, they in quotes, don't allow me, Bonnie, to have any caffeine when I'm doing a radio show for SAP. So I'm just having pure water filtered in a Brita just right out of the fridge with a pretty cup and a little green straw. And the green is for money or for spring or for go, a green light, whatever you want. That's it. And by the way, I'm in on the North Shore of Long Island, New York. So I'm sharing the same beautiful blue skies and sunshine as Corrine and Kim Blair. And Kim, I was a resident of Cambridge for quite a few years in the mid nineteen early nineteen seventies, so a uh, shout out to Boston Cambridge area. There you go. And guess what? It's time for us to take our very first break. We're speaking today to a very interesting group of panelists. We have Kareen Vitolo at Smart Sports. We have Dr. Kim B. Blair at Cooper Perkins Inc. We have Amy Lai, the founder and CEO of Witos, and Milan Cherney at SAP. I am still Bonnie D. Graham and plan to be right after the break. So don't even think of touching that map. House, that app, that dial. When we come back, we launch into our roundtable. We're going to have to do a 35-minute roundtable in 25 minutes, but this panel is wired for sound, so I know they can do it. So I'll ask our, our engineer, Justin, out. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Insights from totally new sources of data, sensors that capture and share what is happening in your business environment, and the tools to understand it and act on it. These are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Internet of Things with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Internet of Things with Game Changers. Welcome back. Our topic today is very exciting, sports and the IoT. Play hard, play smart. We've got a very smart panel, so appropriate. First up on the roundtable, we're going to kick this party, a part of the party off with Corrine Vitolo, the founder and CEO of Smart Sports. And Corrine sent me the following comment in her notes. We're going to start here and then we'll go around and around the table. She says, for, for elite athletes, telemetry and monitoring help with identification, development, Injury prevention, progression and regression, and even contractual issues. That sounds very broad brush, very inclusive. Kareem, why don't you tell us about it, please? Certainly. 
Well, each sport, of course, has very different applications. Uh, I, I'll speak specifically about baseball, which is the core of our business. Uh, you know, we track roughly 85 physical performance metrics on each player. And just to give you a point of reference, Bonnie, uh, say every Major League Baseball game uh, generates a terabyte of data every day. So, so you, you know, if, you, if you're looking from the, the very macro view uh, alongside to the, the public and fan-related view, there are enormous amounts of data being generated here. Uh, for the athletes, I think it's particularly helpful because, you know, as I mentioned here, what, what they're identifying is they're identifying their physical characteristics, what their performance levels are, where, where they excel, where they need more development. So it helps them streamline their development, their training and such. Uh, you know, what we're also seeing is we're seeing, a, a, of course, with the advent of all this data, we're able to, to really get some really interesting predictive analytics. And uh, we've, we've quite successfully linked those to injury prevention, uh, which is wonderful. I mean, certainly at, at a youth level or at an elite level. Uh, you know, progression and regression on injuries. Say if, there, uh, say if a baseball player has a, a, a tear in the shoulder. You know, once with, with having their baseline information and repetitive data points, you, you can actually get trend lines, how they're healing, how quickly they'll be ready to recover, how quickly they'll be ready to return to the game. Uh, or are they regressing? Uh, you know, do they need a different course of treatment or evaluation? Uh, of course, at the elite level, those those lead to contractual issues. Uh, mm-hmm. They they certainly help players identify what what their peak performance is, what what that continuum, their timelines might be. Uh, it helps their trainers, their instructors, their coaches. So, you know, I think I think from the athlete's perspective, um, the telemetry, the the data monitoring, the data capture is infinitely helpful. Wonderful. And, and the whole point is to not only injury prevention, I can imagine, Kareen, but getting people back on their feet, back on the field, back on the track, whatever it is, and keeping them healthy. Because if you have, as you say, elite athletes, you want them in the game. Those are the Precisely. ones the fans are paying to see, they're tuning in to see, and you want to extend their careers as long as possible. Kim Blair, I just have to mention, Kim has a BA in psychology, which I'm sure comes in handy every day, a BS degree in mechanical engineering, a master's in mechanical engineering, and a PhD in aeronautics and astronautics. Are you still in school, Kim? <laughs> I, I, I actually am uh, sort of still in school, but this time I, I have a tendency to, to uh, spend more time on the other side of the desk as the, uh, as the instructor instead of the recipient. I know, and you're the founding director of the Sports Invasion Program at MIT called STE with the at sign M, STEAM, and a visiting professor at Loughborough University in UK. You're a busy guy, and thanks for taking time out. So let's get back on our topic, elite athletes, telemetry, what, whatever Corrine said. You want to add something to that, please? Yeah, I sure would, and, and um, certainly Corinne and Smart Sports have been very, very focused on on the uh, detailed performance and analysis measure of of athletes, uh, and, and providing that information as as uh, training and health information as well. Um, the other aspect that was touched on a little bit earlier in the program was was uh, the, the interaction between the fans and the sport in, the, in that arena. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, you know we see uh, uh, in my line of work we see a lot of entrepreneurs and inventors with ideas about you know measuring and delivering data, but but uh, you know sometimes it's, it's you really have to think of the big picture of the system. And and so we have uh, at Cooper Perkins when we start uh, working in this area, we we have this little diagram that we show, um, and it's basically just a circle with the with the and fan uh, working around that circle. And it's really a virtuous cycle that one needs to worry about in that the, uh, 
the uh, sport really needs the sponsor to uh, to keep the funding coming. And the sponsor, of course, wants the fan uh, because those are the eyes they're looking for. And the fan, of course, wants the sport. And anything you do in the technology side uh, and how that impacts the game has got to keep that, that uh, circle well, ru- well lubricated and moving forward. Um, and we've seen technology come in and out of sport over the years that, uh, that that's not done that. And, uh, you know, kind of one of my favorites is, is the uh, instant replay in, in football, in American mm-hmm. football. Um, when that first came out, there was so much delay in the game as a result of that that uh, American football then said, no, we can't have that because fans uh, were not pleased. And so it went away, but then the technology effectively caught up to the desire, and now, of course, it's, it's integral uh, in all the games. Um, and we're seeing technology even uh, incorporated into uh, uh, goal calling for, for the sport of football that's played with a spherical ball or uh, soccer. Interesting, interesting. I love the the replays on tennis. I'm a big fan of the U.S. Open, and I just, if I missed something or that ball, you know, they do a replay of exactly where or what happened or that winning over the net. I love it. I really love it. I, I'm glued to the TV, and it's just miles away here in uh, in Flushing Meadows, but... You know, 20 minutes away, I'd still rather see it on my own TV, much more comfortable. Anyway, I digress. Amy Lai, join us. Thoughts on what we're discussing from Corrine's topic. Go ahead, Amy. Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, we, we have a solution, and it's for um, uh, stadiums or Wi-Fi networks in, in any kind of local space, really. Um, and it, it is exactly trying to do that, trying to understand a little bit more about uh, what, what are the preferences and interests of, of users as they move around through through a venue, uh, and then how to to then connect them with uh, services that help to make that experience much more enjoyable. So one example, and I know that we we spoke or touched on briefly about uh, sponsorships, but just using kind of location data uh, in a stadium like this can do a couple of things: is, is to understand um, understand where the preferences are for people are sitting versus. You know, whether they're interested uh, to have a good view of, of the uh, pitch or, or the playing field versus are they much more interested to be close proximity to uh, food concessions. Uh, and if we can start to understand the correlations between this kind of behavior, we can start to plan services better in a, in a venue that helps to, to make the fan much more um, engaged in, in the whole experience. Uh, so that's a, that's a, it's a, it's a complementary type of uh, way of, of building that whole fan experience, not just around statistics or, or necessarily about the matching of, of, of uh, sponsor kind of content to the consumers in the stadium. Thank you, Amy. Milan Cherney, join us. Thoughts? Anything that we've discussed? A lot of information going around here. <laughs> this is true. Very interesting. Um, however, if you go back to you know tracking player performance and, and things like that, I think... Um, like I said in the beginning as well, um, technology can, can really be a game changer there, um, especially when, when talking about the dialogue between, between players and their coaches as well. Um, in any given sport, I think um, you know, coaches doing their, their job um, use a lot of gut feelings, and it's the same with the athletes. Um, when you look into sailing, when you look into tennis, where mental strength is very, very important, um, it always helps to back up um, your decisions or your advice um, to the player, to the athlete, with um, factual data. And that's where technology comes into play and, and all the sensors we're using today, um, like I said, in, in any given sport, can be baseball, can be tennis, um, helps. I think the key, the, the, the crucial part here is um, to make it accessible in a simple way um, and also to give it enough context. So... Um, Stay with the example of tennis. Um, when you look at 
a particular serving pattern um, of a player. Um, it's interesting that they serve, let's say, 10 aces per match, but what does that tell me? Um, if I put more context to it, if I, if I have a look at you know, scoring situations, if I have a look at situations where players are under pressure, and then and then compare their their serving patterns and their you know their ability to score, to score aces and, and things like that, then it becomes really meaningful, really insightful, and that's where and that's where um, coaches and players really benefit from from using technology, both post match and also in real time nowadays. So this is also something which is I think um, on the way to being to being used uh, quite frequently. Thank you, Milan. I'm going to, since we're, we uh, spend a lot of time in the opening having our chat and we're very tight for time on our roundtable, I'm going to move quickly to some topics here from Dr. Kim Blair's list. Corrine, rather than coming back to you to finish that topic, because I think we had some good coverage there. So, Kim, I'm, I'm, I think we need to, uh, since you're very much a scientist, we need to do something scientific here, talking about what exactly is the Internet of Things in relation to sports, our topics today. And, and I'm looking in your notes, you say, in the context of sports, Sports and athletes' terms are wearable technology and quantified self. I had never heard the second one. But let's talk about, if you will briefly, Kim, the guts of the whole thing, the sensor, the microprocessor, the network, and the distributions component that shares the data. Can you give us an overview, a layperson's overview, please? Yeah, absolutely. When, and when we're talking about wearable technology or the quantified self, and the quantified self is effectively just you know being able to take and, and measure and understand everything about you as a person uh, yourself. But you know, there's really uh, from an engineering standpoint, there's there's uh, some critical components, and, and one of those becomes a sensor, uh, and that is the little device that's out there measuring uh, me- measuring the, uh, the the piece of the information that you're interested in getting at, and it can be an accelerometer or a temperature indicator or a heart rate indicator or anything like that. And then, and then once you have that information, usually it has to be processed in some way. And so there's a small microchip in there that uh, does the data analysis, and, and um, somebody's out there writing the algorithms to uh, interpret that data. And then, uh, and the really next stage in that process is then getting that data off and. and Nowadays, to a network, right? Um, it used to be in the old days of a heart rate monitor, get from the heart rate monitor strap to your wristwatch uh, and display that back to you. But now it's it usually it does. It also goes to a network somewhere uh, where that information may be shared or uh, further acted upon to provide you more insight. Um, you know, maybe it's it's a storage of data over time, so you can track your workouts and improvement of performance over time. And then there's uh, certainly distribution components that share that data and companies that. Uh, are in the sports industry, for example, they, in a lot of cases, rely on that sharing of data between their mem- between people out there uh, to to get people engaged in their in their products. I mean, that was that was certainly when Nike got into the digital wearable business. That was certainly one of their one of the things they were really into it for. It wasn't so much that um, you know they were trying to sell the hardware to measure the data. They were actually more interested in, in engaging with the community of people who are buying Nike products. Thank you very much. And let's turn to Amy Lai. Thoughts on what Kim just shared with us, Amy? Um, you know what? Uh, I, I think that um, that's, uh, that's really interesting points that are being made. And um, the quantified self for us uh, from a fan point of view, and, and we're particularly looking about uh, looking 
looking at fans when they're when they're moving in inside a stadium. Um, I think that that's one of the points I, I think that are, is really interesting about touching on people's um, willingness to participate in these types of applications or opting into a service. If they feel that there's some value being given directly back to them, then they're much more willing mm-hmm. to participate. Um, so it's not just about the data being stored and actually being maybe um, used for purposes that they are not aware about or even maybe consent to. So I think to have transparency with that and partly um, by leveraging through the quantified self kind of interest that everyone has uh, can help to uh, find a balance between um, people's willingness to to uh, have their their uh, data and, and some of the, the um, streams or trails about their experience uh, be, be used um, and processed. Thank you, Amy. Milan Cherney, want to hear from you. Yeah, I think in terms of in terms of centers and and things like that, I've, it's it's really interesting what's what's possible today in terms of monitoring monitoring um, you know vital functions and and anything related to the athlete. But also um, keep in mind it's been in place um, for a very long time when monit- when it comes to monitoring devices athletes athletes use, like devices like you know Formula One cars or or boats. Um, this is a very interesting area as well, where you can go into, um, you know, measuring, measuring things like g-forces, or you know, in sailing, you can measure currents and, and wind situations when it comes to environmental um, preconditions, um, things like that. So I think um, this is one, this is one challenge you have there to collect all the data, and then again, when you have the data, to put context to it, and then and then uh, create meaningful insights. Um, in order to provide both to the athletes and their coaches, as well as an audience, um, which is then kind of empowered and, and gets more transparency about their favorite sport. Thank you, Milan. I have a question for the whole panel before I move to one of Amy's topics. I want to touch on uh, real, real time with Amy in just a second. My question is, I watch figure skating occasionally, Olympic figure skating. As a matter of fact, where I come from here on the North Shore of Long Island, Amy Hughes, the Hughes family, lives here. And Amy Hughes and her sister learned to skate here at uh, Stepping Stone Park at our one of our, our skating rinks. Uh, it's, a, it's a great place for beginning skaters, and we certainly produced a couple of huge stars here. But my question is, are they putting IoT sensors on figure skaters yet? Anybody want to take that? I haven't. What would you do? Would you put it in the skate? Would you put it in the the fancy hat they're wearing? Would you put it in their hands as they're floating like swans across the ice, or skating like very fast sailboats across the ice? Is anybody doing that? Milan or Kim or Kareen? Anybody know? Is figure skating going to be censored soon with the S? So, so let me let me jump on that real quick. Um, one yeah. of the things with, with this is Kim. Uh, one of the things yeah. that uh, we talked about the uh, the hardware components of developing these systems. Uh, one of the key uh, challenges in a lot of cases is is uh, the, the hardware systems that don't interfere or provide you enough information. So, um, certainly in figure skating, one of the things we've seen where technology has been applied is the use of high speed video and motion tracking, motion capture devices. Uh, and, you know, if you watch uh, figure skating competitions, sometimes you'll see, or skiing, or a lot of these things, sometimes you'll see mm-hmm. some side-by-side replays of slalom skiers yeah. and things like that. And that's, that's where the technology has made the biggest impact. Um, one can imagine having a number of accelerometers and perhaps even foot pressure sensor systems inside of the skate um, and provide that kind of feedback. But until a coach or a trainer really knows uh, how to interpret that information and use that in a, in a really useful way, um, it, it's not going to catch on. 
Um, mm-hmm. There's not going to be much to be learned from it. Um, and the nice thing about skating is it's it's uh, it's in a nice controlled environment, right? You're you've got an enclosed ice rink, so it's easy to use video and, and things like that. Um, and, and and whereas it uh, for training and, and other sports that are maybe more field-based sports, uh, that becomes more of a challenge. So so in some cases. You know, actually putting wearable tech onto an athlete is not the best solution. And certainly when you're looking to develop and uh, design systems whereby you want to capture information, it's, it's worthwhile taking a step back and saying, okay, what is it I'm trying to measure and what are all yeah. of the uh, ways that we might be able to measure that? And then picking the one that makes the most sense. Thank you. One of my wishes for the future is that these ice skating commentators will stop telling us what the skater didn't do or how badly they did it while we're sitting there saying, oh, my God, did you see that? Was that gorgeous? They're saying, well, Barbara didn't do her third triple cow-how, sow-how, cow-wow, and she missed this, and that was not in her program, and they just killed the whole experience for me. But I digress. Uh, let's let's look at a quick uh, comment here from Amy Lai. Uh, I just want to touch on one thing from your notes here. You say, are we ready for real, real time? Wi-Fi is a last-mile connectivity infrastructure and has the ability to enable, enable hyper-local fan experiences like greeting the guests, optimizing the queues or the lines, and extending sponsorship reach. Can you tell us just briefly a little more about this, Amy, please? I think so. I think um, we all touched earlier about um, people uh, being very interested in the quantified self or staying connected and communicating with um, our, our social networks as well as trying to understand and consume more about the game and um, it, it's it's uh, it, when you're in a, a stadium kind of environment. If if you can find uh, compelling reasons for people to come and join a, a common network like like the Wi-Fi network is today, uh, you can start to uh, offer quite interesting services. For example, um, replays of of um, some of the different angles, viewing angles of, of mm. the game being played out uh, that can be done on de- on demand. Uh, this can be done in a in a closed type of um, almost like a, a, a very close network environment, and this starts to create uh, a different type of, of viewing opportunity for, for individuals that allows them to almost tailor the experience that they, they're um, getting out of the game day, uh, where, where some fans might be very um, into statistics. Um, then they can drill down and, and see um, you know, certain player profiles, uh, figure out more about um, you know, how the team is maybe going to to play out their, their next uh, quarter, um, it makes it much more of a gaming experience and interactive experience for fans, I think. So these types of things become possible once um, uh, the stadium or, or even the, the team can understand more about what's interesting for the users. And we are so connected, so uh, I think we're ready for it. Thank you. Good to know. I think we are ready for it. And Milan Cherny, we're almost ready for our predictions crystal ball round, but I have to cover one more thing from your notes here. And I'm looking, and I think you, you brought in most of your points into the rest of the conversation. You talk about sailing, not a spectator sport, because, my goodness, they're not close to the shore. We can't see them. We can't look at the see the whites of their eyes while they're sailing. We can't see their expressions or what they're doing or see their happy dance or their sad dance or whether they really want to jump off the boat into the water because they gave up already. And we don't see the screaming and the yelling. So you're saying regattas take place offshore and it's hard for fans to follow. How is technology making us able to follow the action in a more personalized way in sailing in particular. Milan? Yeah, so um, 
you made a few good points there. So, you know, most of the sailing classes are really taking place offshore, so you can't, you can't really follow what's happening on the water. However, there are sailing series, like, uh, such as the Extreme Sailing Series. They, they are very innovative in a way that they bring sailing close to the shore. Um, they have something they call a stadium race course, um, which is um, like a very, very um, narrow area where the boats are kind of um, racing each other. Um, it's, it's much more about, um, you know, positioning battles and um, very exciting to watch. However, it's still, even for sailors sometimes, very hard to understand what's happening because sailing is not taking place on a defined race course. It's more about um, heading towards waypoints and um, how you get there is up to your strategy. And um, making this transparent and bringing this to a broader audience because it's still like kind of a niche sport for sure. Um, this really relies on technology. So what happens there? Um, sensors are put on the boats. You get the positions. Um, it's working with GPS technology. And then also, obviously, when you talk about sailing, is um, understanding the environment and the weather is, is key. So um, what can be done as well is measuring, you know, wind and current. And then taking all this raw data and kind of processing it in real time gives you kind of a virtual picture. Um, and you can consume the racing on the water at any given point in time. And that gives the audience and the fans a whole new experience compared to the past, um, where you were kind of relying on, you know, results after the racing or maybe some video footage, but it was kind of rare in the, in the past. So today we have much more opportunities and much more possibilities um, to follow this sport. Very exciting. Thank you very much. Guess what? I can give you each, instead of saying 60 seconds for predictions, I'm going to say three sentences each because we're less than four minutes before the end of the show and I want to give everybody an opportunity. So Kareen Vitolo at Smart Sports. Take a look into that crystal ball. I know you polished it off before the show because I asked you to, Kareen. So what do you see? How far in the future? What will change about sports and the Internet of Things? Kareen Vitolo, Smart Sports. Give me just three sentences, your top predictions. Go. Absolutely. Well, I think what we've heard here from all of the comments today is the key common denominator is engagement. And that technology is bringing, it's shortening the distance between the person and the activity, whether it's the athlete, whether it's the audience, whether it's the industry. So I think that's going to continue. And to Milan's point, we're having just an enormous, vast amount of data being generated. So I think, I mean, the future is absolutely going to hold what's going to be the key platform here for people to, to have key insights from that data and how we can personally utilize that in a way that, that engages and, and brings more advantage and efficiencies. Uh, I, I think that remains to be seen, Bonnie. Uh, the decision science piece is going to completely explode here, uh, and I think the platform is going to become absolute key, uh, probably more so than the data. Thank you, Corrine Vitola. Let's go to Dr. Kim B. Blair. Kim, three sentences. Try to keep it tight. What are your predictions, please? So my predictions are really that the, the key word in this place is in this space is going to be parity uh, in the coming years, and and that means that uh, you know this is all kinds of new technology that has the uh, has the op, uh, opportunity to change the games in serious ways. Uh, but we'll see all the organizational bodies, such as uh, the Olympic committees and the professional leagues, all looking to try to figure out how to maintain parity between the haves and the have-nots that uh, can afford to uh, implement, use, and understand this information. Um, so that the uh, sports can remain consistent and, and uh, or change in a way that's uh, controlled uh, so they don't lose their fan base. So parity is going to be a problem. 
Thank you very much. Good to know. We'll have to talk about it in the future. Amy Lyatt-Wittos, I can give you two sentences. We are just about out of time. Predictions, Amy, go ahead. I think uh, sports is one realm that's going to make really omnichannel reality. I think the engagement of, of fans as well as players and, and, and game days is a really compelling uh, opportunity to, to make all of the, the data really meaningful and the services much more, much more connected. Thank you, Milan Cherney. I saved three sentences for you. Go fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would like to see two things. I would like to see, one, um, the governing bodies for the sports opening up a little bit more towards technology. Think about goal line technology in soccer um, and um, increase the amount of, of technology usage. And then also more creative ways to use and to visualize information uh, around sports. Um, also thinking about stuff like augmented reality, for example. Thank you very much. And I have to do some shout-outs to Ira Burke at SAP, sponsor of the series. Chris Burton, thank you. Alicia de Avila, thank you. Ryan O'Neill, thank you for helping us get our panel set up. Paula Payton and Corrine Vitolo at Smart Cage Smart Sports, thank you as well. And thank you to Justin, our engineer at the Business Channel team. And a big thank you so much, Corrine Vitolo. You were wonderful. Kim B. Blair, Dr. Blair, thank you. Amy Lai, thank you. Milan Cherney, thank you. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and this has been another live edition of the Internet of Things with Game Changers Radio, presented by SAP. So go out and here's my call to action. I wish I had a sports one, but I'm going to do my standard. <laughs> okay, fasten your seatbelt. Maybe you're in a boat. I don't know where one. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 